Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Food and Beverage Magazine, brought to life. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farmers, foodies, and friends of the world of Food and Beverage Magazine. Now we're here, live. Michael Politz, publisher of Food and Beverage Magazine. Jennifer English. Hello. World-renowned. Jen, wait, they can't see your face yet. I've got to get rid of the logo. World-renowned Jennifer English, James Beard winner. And our special guest, Sarah Simon from the Dandy Crown Chicago. Hey, hey, hi, everybody. <laughs> We're practicing social distancing. Right, well, I'm all over the place here. What's going on? Do you like my mask? I just realized we don't need these because we're not even in the same state. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Michael, where'd you get that mask? It looks like a yarmulke for your mouth. It's a brassiere. <laughs> You it's wear half that. a brassiere. It's half a brassiere. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny! It's like a training bra. My my mom bought me this. Oh, that's, that's sweet. Yeah. We should draw in uh, like um, in that white out. We should draw like a white mustache on it, like a white curly Q mustache. I love that. Do you know who's with us today? I do. You won't believe who's with us today. We have such a juicy Sarah. show. Do you remember what happened yesterday, Michael? What happened yesterday? Somebody in the White House briefing made a comment that we should be doing something with disinfectants. I don't think that's true. I, don't, I think that was a. I don't want to. I don't think that was really what he meant. So, so let's talk. So today, ahead. you know what we're going to do today? What are we going to do? We're going to look at the world of plants and botanicals and natural solutions to this pandemic problem that we have. We're going to reach out to our friends in the business for their ideas and solutions about how we can get through this. How are they getting through this? And how we can all get through this together. And you know who's okay. joining us? Sarah Ooh. Simon. No, she's not. Yes. <laughs> what our, are the, you mean you mean our Sarah Simon? Yes. Yes. Hi Sarah. Hi. From the Dandy Crown in Chicago. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Awesome. Sarah is one of the 2020 
Tales of the Cocktail, Spirited Award nominees. Hello. Oh, sorry. That's where she's from, the Dandy Crown. I know. We, we, you know, Jennifer, just because I'm a great publisher doesn't mean I'm a great IT guy for our live streaming. <clears throat> so, listen, Sarah's at her bar. She's mm-hmm. invited us to step up to her brass rail, and she's going to tell us all about her odyssey because they haven't even been open that long. But they are already considered one of the top places in North America to get a great mixed drink. And we want to salute her and congratulate her on her nomination. What a, what it's an honor to have you here. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really, really exciting. Um see how I'm doing that? I'm flashing it like it's like <laughs> you know, we've got know. somebody backstage. We've got Stu Lawrence backstage. Can we bring him on to the show? Or you, you want yeah, to you, talk about you wanted to be on this one with Sarah? Yeah, they're all every this is we're having a party. You know, one of the things that's missing, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And and I'm bringing the, Stu on. Yeah. Bring Stu on. Hey, Stu. He How are you, man? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? Can you hear me? We can. You look great. You sound great. So, you know, one of the things when Michael and I were talking about doing this, there is no show for the industry that is so hard hit. And the fact is, in many cities, you can get food to go. You can get drinks to go. And we're still hungry. We're still craving. Something's still missing. And, and, and you know what that is? That conviviality. You can get the food, but it doesn't taste the same. You can get a drink and it's still delicious, but it's being together that matters. And we said we have got to come up with a way of bringing everybody in the industry together, all our friends in the business. So, Stu, welcome aboard. We're going to have some fun. I want to introduce you to our friend, Sarah Simon. She's one of the Spirited Award nominees from this year's Tales of the Cocktail from her bar in Chicago, where she's welcoming us to her rail right now. And we're just going to ask her, Sarah, how are you managing? Are you guys open or closed or what's going on? Are you are you doing food and drinks to go? Uh, we are not. In Illinois, uh, cocktails to go is not a thing. <clears throat> so the only, you can sell like cocktail kits to go, but individual cocktails can't be sold to go at this point. So most places that are still open and operating are just doing food to go. Yeah. Um, we don't have a kitchen yet. Because um, you're really brand new open. When did you open for real? We opened uh, December fifteenth, so we were just we hit our three month birthday right before everything shut down. And that's just when a place begins to work out the the kinks. Yeah, I mean it's it was a really fun ride throughout the winter. Um, we opened at a weird time. Opening right before Christmas is a little a little bit of a gamble. Um, but we're situated in a neighborhood in Chicago where. There are a ton of residences, but not a ton of places to eat and drink. Um, so especially the street that we're on, uh, there's one other bar two blocks away. And then the next bar that you can get to is like five or six blocks away. So, so we've what's, really- the, what's the neighborhood you're in? Uh, we're in a neighborhood called River West. Okay. Uh, and, and what was the concept for your bar besides, you know, being the only bar in the neighborhood, basically? <laughs> uh, so we, we really wanted to create you know, the neighborhood bar, right? Um, I grew up in Chicago. I was born and raised on the Northwest side of the city where there, every bar around there is a neighborhood bar um, just because of where it is and the amount of people that live there. And so I really wanted to bring that vibe where like you, you go in, you know, the people that are sitting down the bar from you, you know, the bartender, the bartender knows you, they know what you want to drink. And so we wanted to have that environment and that vibe, but with an elevated cocktail menu. 
So, you know, but everything without, everything without pretension. So I have, my bar team is, they're all rock stars. They've all been doing this a really long time. They all know a lot about cocktail history and craft cocktails and they're, you know, at the top of their game, but they're also down to earth. So you can come in and get, you know, a Champs-Élysées and nerd out with your bartender about how, you know, the history of that cocktail and how it's made. Um, or you can come in and just drink a Miller Lite and a shot of tequila and it's no different. You're, you're still right. going to, you're going to be able to have a great conversation and, you know, build that, build that rapport and build that sense of community. One of the things that's important for people to remember is you say that, you know, like it's something we can these days take for granted. But when we started Tales of the Cocktail and I was part of the group that was um, the New Orleans Culinary and Cultural Preservation Society that put on Tales. I was on the first seminar panel at Tales uh, back almost 20 years ago. And we had the dream that we could walk into any bar anywhere in the world and order a Negroni and not have to explain to somebody how to make it. When you just take for granted that, well, you could have come in and order a Champs-Élysées. <laughs> Ten years ago, you couldn't have gone into most neighborhood bars, ordered that, and not had to talk the, the mixologist or bartender through the process. So, For sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate to be at a time in, you know, this cocktail revival um, where bartenders are really educated. And you don't, you know, nine out of ten bars that you go into, you can order a Negroni. Or you can order something more complicated and your bartender is going to know how to make it. Uh, and so I think that's really cool. And so I think the thing, you know, to strive for nowadays where everyone has a great cocktail program, it's almost a given that any bar you walk into is going to have a cocktail program. Um, what you want to strive for is the community aspect. Right. Of it. You want it to be a place and you want it to be a place that people want to come back to. You know, it's interesting. You're in a city where the aviary is widely considered one of the preeminent cocktail institutions in the world. And to be competitive and welcomed, accepted and thriving at the time that you had to, you know, shutter things for the pandemic, you had to be operating at a really high level because Chicago is, was one of the great food and cocktail scenes in the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is one of those times when I turn to Stu and say, as somebody who travels for business and is a sophisticated guy, I would ask, you know, where do you go in Chicago and have you been? To, to Sarah's bar, but it's only been open a few months. And have you, I got to take the shot. Have you been there? I have not been to a bar. No, I actually used to live years ago, um, west of Chicago, out in St. Charles. So okay. we'd make our way in, uh, in the city a fair amount. Um, cool. No, unfortunately haven't. All right. So Sarah, one of the things we're so psyched to have you on today, because both you and Stu are part of the theme of this show today, which is about botanicals. And Can how? I just say one thing, Jennifer? Yes. Jennifer has one of these, you guys. Have you seen <laughs> that before? I just want to say Jennifer has a James Beard Award. Hold on, my three-year-old's yelling at me. Come over here, buddy. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Yeah, let's do it again. She has one. Stu, am I doing a good job? Now, one more technical question before you go on. If I look like this, does it look to you like I'm looking at Sarah and then I go down and I'm looking at yeah. Stu? Yeah. <laughs> Is that the funnest thing you guys have ever seen? Like, let's very, do that. Very Brady Bunch. It reminds me of Brady Bunch. There you go. All right. I just say. making sure. Anything else I need to show or interrupt? I wish, Stu, I wish I had your logo because I would plop it up. So I have to do that? Yeah. No, I'll do, do it. it. Just send it to me in the I private chat, Stu. <laughs> Stu, if you see the private chat, send me your website and I'll grab the logo. 
and we'll see how technically advanced the publisher of Food and Beverage Magazine is. You're pretty 12 million readers. Did I say 12 million readers strong today yet? No. That, it's actually that's a month, and it's actually more mm-hmm. because this right now, 19,000 people an hour are coming to the website. Woohoo! It's insane. All right, so here's okay. the thing. So our theme today, after what happened, the debacle that happened, that that somebody suggested that we can use ultraviolet light and 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 uh, chemical uh, disinfectants to treat, because the the millions of doctors all over the world treating uh, COVID nineteen patients hadn't thought of using something so simple, right? It's just too simple. And so, so we get this idea, this crazy idea, and it dawned on us that we need to turn to our friends in the hospitality world for really, you know, simple solutions, natural solutions to this pandemic problem. And what is more natural than turning to the plants and natural world for the things that we know that we bring to the table from farm to table, from everything from actual cleaning supplies that are natural and non-toxic that Stu's going to talk about in a minute to my good friend right above me here, Sarah, talking about how we can take these beautiful spring flavors and make a cocktail that is perfect for just this very moment today, no matter where you are in the country. Sarah, what'd you fix for us? Um, So I was going to make you guys a berry and basil gimlet. (gasps) Uh, I love gimlets. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make it and I'll just talk, gonna, talk we're gonna pour it. it. We're gonna we're gonna pour some over first too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so one of the things that I really like doing at the bar is taking, you know, the sort of like the simplest of cocktails and then just kind of tweaking them a little bit to make them a little bit more unique. So the gimlet framework is the perfect thing to do that with because all it is is spirit, sugar, and citrus, right? At at its core, that's all gimlet. So you can start to play with like the different flavors depending on what you have around the house. Um, so I'm going to start with lime juice. And then we have a bunch of frozen fruits and vegetables in our freezer. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So we had frozen strawberries and raspberries that were sort of looking like they're about to get freezer burned. So I made a little syrup out of that. Nice. This is like a strawberry raspberry simple. And that's just equal parts of sugar and water. And then the berries strained carefully and then you left with flavor. How long did you cook it for? Uh, so I cooked it. So I made, I made the simple first. So I did sugar and water until the sugar dissolved. And then I put the berries in and like simmered that super low for probably about 20, 25 minutes until the berries kind of like puffed up and looked like they were about to explode. Um, and then I strained it out. So the whole thing probably took maybe 30 minutes. Um, it was pretty quick though. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna put that with a little bit of vodka. And then we have also been making a lot of soup at our house and we did sort of, um, like a pho style soup this week. So we've got a bunch of basil lying around the house. So I'm going to put some basil leaves in there too. Hey, Sarah. Yes. Sarah. Oh, where's Jennifer going? Like mortified. Um, you said pho, like very, you know, it was nice the way you, like very like ethnic, the way you, do you feel silly when you say that? Like I say gyro. A little bit. I say stew, stew, stew. Do you say gyro? No, you I don't think gyro. I feel weird. I probably did say gyro and got corrected. 
Well, you got corrected, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know. I'm just wondering, you know, listen, I'm, you know, when I told Paul Bakusha, make your food too small, I thought that was, I jumped the shark at that point. Um, <laughs> but then I said the same thing to Guy, and Guy said, Michael, if you're hungry, have more. That was Guy Savoir, right? That's a very sensible thing. So this is about sensible. Like, we hang out with yeah. the sensible people in this industry. Our, in fact, our whole industry is pretty sensible for the most part, right? We've got boys and girls and men and women and people all over the country who are in the same boat where they can't open their doors, but they're all trying to figure out how we can get through this together. And one of the things that Sarah's doing today from the Dandy Crown in Chicago, one of the country's top brand new bars, is offer us a way of a technique, like no matter what the ingredients are that you have, in case you have it. I, I've got basil growing abundantly right now in the garden. The, the, the basil plants are fecund. They're beautiful and bright and just gently licorice and Sarah, what have you got there with the berries? Um, in here? That looks good. Yeah. So I, I shook the, the lime berry syrup and vodka with like four or five basil leaves. So you've got like a basil berry gimlet. Nice. It's delicious. Nice. Do you have a house toast yet for the Dandy Crown? No, not really. <laughs> We got to work on that together. We're being toasting. Well, we'll work on that with you. Stu uh, Lawrence is here with us. Talk about the two of you because you have something in common. Um, from Cleanwell today, Stu Lawrence is, is here visiting with us. Hey, Michael. <laughs> do you like that? I do. I do. Yep. Thank you. So the tide of weather. I'm going to hit your banner up now, too. I just want to make just, sure everyone's. Yeah, I was just, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we're actually in the middle of, of uh, redoing our packaging. So our website's a little in the process of uh, launching. And and uh, Sarah, I was going to ask, could you just hand me one of those drinks? I mean, yeah. it's late on a Friday. <laughs> Here. Stu, that would be the, yeah, do it. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome, Stu. Hey, everybody. This is Stu Lawrence from Cleanwell today, and he's our friend in the business who is taking this idea of botanicals and plants as solutions for natural solutions for this pandemic problem that we're having. Um, Stu, you and Sarah both have this sort of plant richness to what we're talking about today. Um, each of you, I want to have a chance to, to talk about this. Stu, talk about Cleanwell and what kinds of stuff you guys do. Yep. Yeah, so we make, uh, we don't use the word natural um, for many historical reasons of how it's defined, but we use botanical uh, because we source ingredients from plants. Um, our active ingredient, I mean, a lot of things come from plants, right? And, and oftentimes right. people scratch their head and they're like, wow, if it's from a plant, it must be foofy or, you know, whatever. Um, our active ingredient comes from, it's common in a lot of herbs, it's called thymol. Um, we go through the same EPA registration type information that, uh, that any any company, any major company uh, that you're aware of goes through yep. um, the same path. So we make uh, botanical-based uh, disinfectants, wipes, sprays, um, as well as uh, hand sanitizers. And then we make them under our own brand. We also partner with uh, a few companies to make their products as well. We've okay. been doing it for about 10 years. Yeah. So, so what happened? How did your world blow up yesterday when it was suggested that disinfectants can do something relative to COVID? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, in terms of the comments made of ingesting it. Uh, well, did, I mean, did your sales yeah. go through the roof yesterday? No, not yesterday. Um, <laughs> I would say, early, early, thankfully, not. I mean, early March things really took off, and it, it's been um, it's it's been kind of crazy in that respect. I mean, it's unprecedented the amount uh, of folks buying products, the higher usage, and and obviously. Uh, yeah, what happened yesterday did not. It really, what it did more than anything, caused us to kind of scratch our heads and and react and and work with people to get guidance out there that you need to follow directions and, and not so, adjust. So, uh, as our friend in the business, can you kind of break down where we are and where we need to be doing whatever we can do to protect ourselves and the people in our communities? What do you understand about where we are with all this? And as somebody sort of in the business. Yeah. What can you tell us about what we should know? Yeah, so I mean, all in all, I mean, since this started, it feels, I think, to all of us like it's been six months, right? It's been, you know, five weeks or so. Um, you know, my head's been been down kind of trying to, to get supply to meet demand. Um, but I would say that, you know, a couple of things. One, I think that I feel the CDC um, has put out really good, uh, really good guidance on what to do. And, and obviously, this is an evolving situation. So, you know, there might be something that needs to change in terms of the guidance that we're hearing. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I find is that because of the increased use and frequency that we're finding, people that didn't use it before, disinfectant before, now they're using it more frequently or at all, um, it, which causes a, a supply issue. So you're right. not, in, you, you either have a lot at home or you don't have any in the grocery store. So at least two issues, in my opinion. Um, one is a lot of folks are mixing stuff at home and, and, you know, I think in general, mixing chemicals uh, is a bad idea. Uh, you know, you hear about people putting vinegar and bleach together. That's a no-no. It's toxic. So make sure you're educated on that front. Uh, but then the other side is people using the products much more. And I'm talking about the whole industry, not any brand or product in particular. Uh, you know, couple that with kids being home a lot. Right. Uh, we're seeing a lot of incidents, not with our product per se, but in general, uh, where you know, people don't read the directions, number one. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, and this is not new, um, even people that use disinfectants regularly, they, they don't seem to read the directions. That's what our research has shown. Um, and a lot of disinfectants have, have warning labels all over them. Uh, wear pr protective gear. I mean, I'm talking about the stuff that you buy at the store that's common, probably in your household. Um, wear glasses. Change your clothes. Wash your clothes after using. Um, if you're using it on a food contact surface, Make sure you clean after you disinfect. You know, a lot of products have pretty pretty dire, uh, you know, uh, warnings on the back, and that's all regulated by the EPA. Um, you know, from our standpoint, uh, going through the same process, fortunately, we don't have a lot of those claims, uh, which is nice. It makes it a little bit easier uh, for folks to use. But, but all in all, just read the directions. You, you might need glasses uh, to get to that fine print, but uh, that, you know, read that. What's the one thing that you most want to make sure everybody that's with us today, all our friends, know about how to protect themselves and and what we should be doing? I know CDC and the hand washing thing. Is there a way or a product with which we should be washing our hands? And what have, what about clean, um, well, today products? Yeah. What kind of stuff are you making to help us? Yeah, I mean, all of uh, Still, hold on. Go, and go. also, let's talk about food service, right? Like, what can the restaurants do today as we get back into that same conversation? Yeah. What can the restaurants do today to help for opening in however many weeks they're going to open? What should they be doing? You know, I was under the impression, you know, 
are things festering in the restaurant right now if they walked out? Like, what's happening? What can you tell us about that? Interesting. Um, you know, I think I think during a, doing a thorough clean and disinfect is important. Um, you know, we've got restaurants here on our block um, that are doing you know curbside. They've typically got a hand sanitizer or disinfectant. They're doing that pretty frequently. You know, I, 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 as things are evolving, candidly, I kind of want to leave it up to those that are really specifically researching certain industries as to what needs to be done. Um, I think I think frequent cleaning, washing your hands. I mean, it, it it's been beaten into people, but it's been beaten into people for every cold and flu season for years, right? Wash your hands, wash your hands. So hopefully, we're going to see that change. Uh, you know, whether whether you're going to the bathroom or just you know you've just been out and about, come home, wash your hands. Hopefully, that guidance is getting through to people. Um, you know, restaurants in particular, the ones around us, I know, you know, they're they're making changes. And they have to try to get uh, get food out. So, you know, there's some restaurants where you pull up, you pop your trunk or, you know, your back and folks come out and deliver it. So there's varying levels of, of I guess, touch points, um, wearing masks. I mean, obviously, I don't have one on now, but I'm not getting it on anyone and no one comes into here uh, right now. But, you know, wearing masks as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Can't hear you, but my good lip reader. Um, yeah. Listen, I, I want to go back to Sarah for a minute because the reason we have you guys on together, we've sort of, um, I want you to think of this as like a, a cocktail party where we brought the, the best guests who are really going to have something in common and really enjoy being together. And of course, when you're behind the bar, so many of the things up behind you on that shelf have their roots, no pun intended, in botanicals and roots and, and other aromatic and plant-based um, origins. And certainly when we talk to Stu about what his company's involved with, the very, you know, richly botanical focused uh, way that they develop the products that are very effective are oriented in that same natural world. Will you guys talk from your own perspective about how important that notion of botanicals are for you? Because I want people to remember wherever they are in the world, they've got something growing that they can bring into their own moment in this quarantine. Sarah, I'll let you start. Yeah. Um, I mean, all the majority of alcoholic production is rooted in botanicals and rooted in fresh ingredients. Um, I think from, from my perspective and from a bar perspective, uh, the most important thing is looking at seasonality and looking at what you can grow yourself, what right. And what you can create with exactly with what you know with what you have in yeah. season currently so we or you know the plan was to change the menu four times a year at the bar to reflect the changing seasons <clears throat> and to have the drinks complement the time of year right uh, we opened we had a very very wintry menu um we were i was 90 percent done with the new cocktail menu uh, when the shutdown happens. And now I think we're going to have to push it a little bit further and start looking at the more summery fruits and herbs and all of that to kind of make them, you know, make when we reopen, because it'll be at least June by the time we reopen. <clears throat> the stuff that was applicable in March is not necessarily applicable in June. Right. So I think just taking a more thoughtful approach to that and just kind of and paying attention to the changing seasons and the changing flavors and adapting your menus and the way that you approach making cocktails 
to that, I think is really important. And again, it's another little thing that will set bars apart from one another. If you have that conscious thinking. And we, I mean, my, Michael saw him earlier. My boyfriend is a chef and he, we, you know, we talk about that. We talk about that constantly about like what's coming into season, what complements one another. And, you know, we start to sort of build drinks and dishes from there, which is pretty cool. Can you introduce Sebastian and bring him, bring him on? <laughs> yeah, I can use, use some food. Yeah. Bring him on. Stu, like this. Bring him on. Bring him on. Bring him on. This is Sebastian. He's a stew chef at a restaurant called Porto in Chicago. Oh, wow. So, nice to meet you, chef. Basque cuisine, Jennifer. Basque cuisine. Portuguese and Basque. Yeah. So we again, love cuisine. Again, this is the way I pronounce it. Okay? <laughs> Stu, I don't want to look down on you, but you hear what they're doing to me right here? Can I tell you? If if I could only have three spices to use for, and you know I'm Mrs. Spices, you can see it says one of my three desert island spices is smoked paprika. Sebastian. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, it is it is a favorite of mine. It really is. There's something about just the the actual sweetness, but the depth of that uh, spice alone just travels really well. Yeah, we had to make an emergency grocery store run last week because we didn't have paprika and we needed paprika. <laughs> hey, Sebastian. Sebastian, are you familiar with this? Are you familiar with this logo? Yeah. Uh, Jennifer English is a James Beard Award winner. Well, congratulations. She's an award winner. Thank you. But we really want everyone to be familiar with this logo because it sounds like we can really make a difference, people. Hey, I want to go yeah, to that was for you. Yeah, we, we posed this big, sweeping, tie-it-all-together question. Uh, and, and I wanted to come back to you, Stu, and then and give you the opportunity to talk about why plants and the plant world and the natural world are so important to the philosophy and the mission of what you guys do at Cleanwell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been it was the root of the founding of the company. Um, you know, making sure that we do something a little different, something from from the earth, something that's regenerative, and really focus on trying to get uh, you know ingredients uh, similar to that. So. Um, you know, also working with the agencies, we, we have to work extensively with, with folks like the EPA and they're great to work with and their guidance is, is clear to, to, to do so. And, and, and one of the benefits we've been able to do going this sort of earth plant route, um, is get sort of a low toxicity rating, uh, which allows our products to be, you can't use the word safe, um, cause there's so many complications with that, but really, you know, the way we look at it is you don't have the warning labels all over the packaging yeah. about wearing safety glasses and, and protective gear to do so. So it's really the, the core of our company uh, and has been since the founding. Stu, uh, tell everybody where they can order your products um, these days. I know, it, you know, that's probably the hardest question to answer. And the reason why is right in how we're dealing with unprecedented demand. And um, yeah, there you go. Um, you know, we, we sell it at uh, retailers, you know, nationally, um, heavily within the, the natural channel, um, some conventional as well, and then on uh, online retailers as well. The problem is the second we produce and ship out, it gets to the store shelves, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, Amazon would be an example online. They, they've been out of stock now for six weeks, and we've continued to ship them products. But their future- This is our chance. This is our chance to ask the guy that ships and gets sold out immediately. What happens? Like we go there. We're like, Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Smith's had toilet paper. 
no, no toilet. Like every oh, we have Lysol. Oh, I got Clorox. Whatever it is, right? So yeah. now so we have guys. Chip, Stu, what's it like? What is it? How, how, how's it going? Yeah, I wouldn't. So what's interesting is, you know, we, we get consumers that are, and a lot of people in our industry are consumers that are mad, you know, it, as if to say, I mean, they're not saying this, but as if to say, how could you not plan for this? And, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, we sold, <laughs> we sold um, the first two weeks of March. So in February, we produced a new, new look, new branding, new labels, which you can kind of see on our website, we're starting to roll that out. That was supposed to get us through September, October, okay? On top of that, we had safety stock of things like packaging and whatnot. Well, in the first two weeks of March, when this all hit and really picked up steam, we sold out of all that inventory. It was supposed to get us into back to school, okay? Then we have to go to our manufacturing facilities, which we share with others, and have to kind of fight for, uh, not literally fight, but fight for line time to produce for that was previously unscheduled. To use up the components we currently had in inventory as like safety stock. And that safety well, stock in some cases could be six months worth of normal sales, right? Well, we go ahead and we produce that, say, a month later, if we're lucky on some of SKUs, and that sells out immediately. I mean, it's into the warehouse and it, it's out almost right away. Um, and then you're looking at a situation where everyone is trying to get resin-based products. So canisters, bottles, sprayer heads, a lot of it's coming from around the world. Some us and i'm talking about the industry as a whole normal lead times to get those components are eight to ten weeks right now they're getting extended to 15 20 i mean much longer so you can't even you've already gone through your safety stock finished goods inventory the retailers have already sold through their inventory right we've already gone through our safety stock of components to make more because we've made more now we have to wait right yeah it's jennifer yeah. On your best-selling product, how many components in that one product are we talking about? Uh, like a cap, a lid, a bottle, a label, a, you know, like how many different yeah. components are yeah, there? Typically two. Yeah, most of them will typically have two. Um, you'll have a canister, a spray bottle, a sprayer lid, you know, a top, um, and then uh, maybe a substrate of the white material that goes in a wipe. And there's, I mean, there, I, I could, I could bore you for hours talking about this, but you know, other examples like the substrate that, that's in a wipe, right? Some of the the, comp- the material that goes into those wipes are being now, are under much higher demand because they are make, using it for making medical masks, you know, or different types of masks. So now you have demand, just, you know, unprecedented demand for coming from every angle. So, I mean, it's really, it's really been a challenge. And what, Can you explain? I don't know the answer. What's a substrate? Right. Sorry. <laughs> Um, the, the way we refer, substrate can be used for a lot of different things. Uh, labels can be considered the substrate material. Um, for us, we refer to it as the, the white material. So the cloth. Because uh, you make you make uh, botanical based uh, disinfecting wipes. Correct. And, 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 a, and sprays. Yep. You want to grab some behind you there and show us? What some of the new labels. So here's a spray, right? You know, three components. It's empty. Uh, three components. You, You've got you know, this piece, the dip tube, the bottle, and then the label on top of that. Um, uh, labels have even, some of the material used in these are in such high demand, it can be the lead times get that much further out. Um, and then wipes, you know, your typical pull-through wipe, it's empty. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been, it has been very challenging for everyone in the industry. Wow. 
Um, one of our viewers just noted that they're a big fan of the product and they wanted to know if the Cleanwell hats are even going to be for sale. <laughs> um, we have a small supply of them right now. Peter Resnick. Do you know Peter Resnick? Is this a plant? Is he, did he do this? Look at this. He wrote that. I love Cleanwell. It's the Bob. Is he working? Does he work for you? Yeah, no comment. No comment. Oh, my God. Peter. Oh, God. I had to ask the question. Yeah, I thought he was a friend of yours, Poets, because he's playing the guitar like all your rock and roll friends. I, I know. Look, does Peter play the guitar? What does he do? Let's, let's look at that picture right there, Stu. Yeah. It's like a clean guy. That? That's probably is, he, is he in a band? Looks like it. What <laughs> band would he be in, Peter Res? I don't know. I'll have to look that up. All right, That's let me awesome. look it up right now. Thank you, you guys. Get them on. So, Steve, what city are you in right now? I'm in Denver. And let's talk a little bit about what your community is experiencing with regard to the, you know, the whole food and beverage scene. Um, you obviously, are. You, is this your home that we're talking to you in, or is this your office or both? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually in, in our offices. Um, we have a lab here. Um, that we use from a quality standpoint. So we have one person coming in out of the lab who I, I typically don't see because I come in and, and shut my door and sit in here and crank away um, on on various things. But yeah, I, I do live and work in Denver. And so what's going on there with regard to restaurants and, and, and how are people managing? Is Denver one of those places where it's on tight lockdown or are people out enjoying the spring weather or what's going on in Denver? Yeah, I mean, you get a combination of both, but I mean, for the most part, you're not seeing nearly as many people out, uh, which which is good. I mean, that's been the guidance. So, you know, it's changed over the past couple of days, the stay at home versus there was a safer at home and the stay at home was just extended um, into May. And no, I, you know, I feel like at least where, where I'm living, uh, you know, we're out walking the dog, people are wearing masks, uh, and the behavior is, it's 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 sad in many ways, but um, it's the right thing for everyone to do right now. When you're walking down the sidewalk with your dog or without your dog, people are going out into the street. It's definitely, you know, that 10, 10 plus feet, I would say, more than the six foot. Um, so it's good to see that people are doing that. Uh, and you're not seeing as many people out about, not as many cars on the road, uh, which I, I, is sad but good. Right I want to ask you also, um, and Michael, I want to ask you and, and Sarah this question. Do you think when the time comes to open up, however long from now that is, do you think we're ever going to go back to not being so wash your hands, disinfectant oriented? Do you think that this is the moment that we'll just never go back from? Oh, was that if Peter Resnick? Is, I think, Stu, I think she's saying if Pete Resnick playing the gig, are we all <laughs> going to use hand sanitizers at right, the gig? Right, right. Oh, is that, so, you know, I, I, we, we've thought a lot about that, right? That might be the question. No, I, I would say, you know, all in all, people have pretty short memories, right? Is something that I feel. So I think in the near term, it is absolutely going to change people's behavior massively, right? I think as you look down the road, things loosen, you know, whatever it is that, that happens in our life, you know, we have short memories about that. So um, I think we are going to get back to the norm at some point, but there are behaviors that are going to change. There's, there's no question about that. Um, how much we don't know. And frankly, we're only, as we were talking earlier, we're only five or six weeks into this, right? So let's all hope it ends quickly, right? But if it doesn't, I think that'll further, uh, you know, consumer behavior, human behavior, um, 
but you know, some, some of, some of what you're getting, we're getting insights to, I think is kind of sad. Um, you know, the hyper diligence about things and, and the distancing. Um, I don't love it. You know, our office is pretty much remote outside of the lab. And then, and then me um, sitting here in the corner, looking out the window. Um, and that's sad, you know, we're, we're resorting to zoom and go to meeting and things like that to, to try to continue to have a community uh, that we normally have here. And it's, it's, it's hard to do that. Um, it's really hard to do that. So. Do you have one piece of advice for everybody that's tuned in with us and our friends that uh, if we can't get out and if we can't get access to your products, is there something in the sort of clean well today tradition that you could do with whatever you have at home? Is there some, is there some technique or old wives tale or home remedy that you can suggest we, uh, you know, there are a few out there. Um, you know, some folks use like a, like a vinegar with water. Um, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing to do, I mean, you get educated. There are sites out there, pretty credible sites that have different options to use. Um, be careful. Yeah. Don't, don't go ahead and just mix stuff. Don't, you know, there are a lot, you, you keep reading these articles of what things people are doing. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit scary to me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think just get educated, wash your hands. Um, Sarah, I'm going to throw the same kind of question to you. Do you think that you're going to be operating differently when you do open back up from this? You're a relatively young restaurant. You've only a bar. You've you've only been open three months. Um, You're still finding yourself in a way. How is this experience changing you guys? Oh wow. Um, I mean, it's it's changing. It's changing so many things. I mean, I think it it makes us all realize and I don't mean to speak for my staff, but I, I think my staff probably feels the same as I do. Um, it makes you way more grateful for your, for the job that you have because we don't have any right now. Um, and it, it reminds us that, you know, bars and restaurants are important meeting places. Like they're important community centers and, you know, we miss that right now because you can't, go sit at your friend's bar and catch up with them. You have to FaceTime them or Zoom them or text or whatever. And it's great that we're finding all these alternate ways to stay connected during this time. But it really makes you realize like how important these these places are. And so I think, you know, when we when we come back, obviously from like a functional standpoint, there's a lot of things that we're going to have to change. And I was actually just talking to one of the owners about this earlier today because we're working on building out our patio. Um, we were talking about, you know, what kind of tables to buy. And I told her, you know, we, we probably just have to wait because we don't know what regulations are going to look like when we do reopen. And so we could, you know, we could plan, but it's very likely that whatever we plan, you know, in a month, we'll we'll find out that we can't do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you... What's everything like in Chicago right now? Um, it's interesting. Uh, so the neighborhood that we live in um, is very residential. Um, we live in a neighborhood called Ukrainian Village, which is about three miles west of downtown Chicago. <clears throat> and it's a lot of families and kids and dogs and all that. So now that the weather's starting to get a little bit nicer, we're actually seeing a lot of people out on our street. Um, you know, everyone is pretty good about social distancing and wearing a mask and all that. And people are pretty respectful of that. But, you know, the downtown area um, is is just deserted. 
there's no one anywhere downtown. The mayor closed all of our parks and um, like she closed the lakefront because people weren't respecting social distancing um, in the very beginning because we had one really nice day. People went to the beach and threw parties. So Mayor Lightfoot took it away from us, which if you guys haven't seen the memes of our Chicago mayor, they're absolutely hilarious. Okay. Um, people have been superimposing. Have you guys seen my mayor? Did you guys see the Vegas mayor? No. Michael's in Las Vegas. Um, Horrendous. Go ahead. Anyway. But yeah. Hey, uh, um, Stu, does this what? mean anything to you? Does this mean anything to you? That's actually the Lawless. Are you familiar with that band? Yeah, they sound familiar. <laughs> Wait, you're not in there, are you? No. Is that you, Stu? I'm in the middle. Standing up laughing with the, with the fiddle? Yeah, it is. I know. The blonde hair, I can see. Busted. Busted. <laughs> hey, is that did a Did you bar- know Resnick was going to steal the show? Stu, yeah, you didn't know please. Resnick was going to steal the show, did you? No. No. That's fine. Resnick. Resnick for the law lying at the porch. Go ahead. Look at the ink that our girl's uh, rocking at her bar there. Did you ever do uh, Speed Rack? Let's, I did. I Jennifer, did. We, we were, um, we have a viewer that we're very close with, Doug Simon. Um, no relation to Sarah Simon, but extreme brother of my late best friend, Carrie Simon. Oh, so nice. he, is, he is watching us right now. Hello, Dougie. Okay. Commenting on my texting me, commenting. He likes the red on the hat. Okay. Nice. You may so want to tell everyone who Carrie Sarah Simon about is. This incredible uh, mixology competition that travels around called Speed Rack. I've both been a competitor and a judge. And I want and I and I wanted to know, tell me about your speed rack. It was in Chicago not long ago. Oh maybe with C <clears throat> not long ago. It was in November, I think. It was in Chicago. Um I didn't compete this year. I haven't competed in three years. I did three years in a row. My last year was three years ago. Okay. Um but one of my bartenders competed this year. Um I helped her train. She made the top eight and lost. Nice. She lost to the girl that won the whole thing. So, well, that's where I first heard about you because I saw your because they used to do these great videos, these <laughs> movies, of, and they were like title fights. You know that Ho- Holyfield Tyson behind you, Mike. They used to shoot these, and and it almost started like as part of a production company that made these great movies, mm-hmm. and and that's sort of how it grew, and then it became this thing, and it was to raise money for you know cancer. So. It's one of the top mixology competitions in the world. It should be its own TV show. It's, and, it's incredible. It's an incredible competition. And I knew that I was um, I was doomed when I competed when it was in Arizona up against Kim Hasarud. And, and we just were watching, you know, because we feel like grandmas by now. Because, you know, 20 years ago, uh, when the cocktail thing was just starting to happen and we were just starting Tales of the Cocktail, you know, we were a hundred cocktail nerds in a room today. It's tens of thousands of people, millions of people all over the world. But what's so cool about back then is, is we can now as the grandmas look at you kids and how beautifully and fast and clean you work and you make amazing drinks and you're completely creative. And, and we could never have dreamed a dream as big as our industry being inherited by people like you, Sarah, and 
and Ivy Mix and, and Julie, it, the world has been handed over in this sense to extraordinary people. And that you're doing it in Chicago at, uh, at your place at Crander, I got to say congratulations. And I'm thrilled that Tales of the Cocktail recognized you for your work. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer that there won't be traditional Tales of the Cocktail this year, but it's... Well, We'll we'll get uh, Simon Ford on with us and we'll do something. We'll get Tony and Dale too. We'll get everybody on. If there's one thing where you want to turn people on to um, this drink that we made today, the uh, Gimlet, mm-hmm. um, is there a place you want to send people to to get a further taste of what you're doing at, at your joint? Um, I would say just for our social media. Um, we've been posting a lot on our Instagram and our Facebook um, different recipes. I was, I did a, an interview on one of our local news stations earlier this week. And so I have the cocktails that I made on the news, um, with recipes and, you know, step-by-step instructions and all that. And that's on our Instagram and our Facebook. Um, and we'll try and do, you know, and what's the hashtag for that? Uh, just the dandy. I think it's the dandy crown. Okay. Maybe the dandy crown bar, you know, okay. remember. I think it's no, just the dandy crown. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, <clears throat> and you know, once we reopen, we'll, we're, we're pretty active on social media, posting different drinks and different things that we're up to and all the educational stuff that we try to provide for our staff so that, you know, cause you're not, you never stop learning. So not long ago, uh, we had an event, maybe five years, uh, to, uh, bring attention to Michael's good friend and mine, uh, Carrie Simon, who, who suffered from, um, multiple system atrophy, MSA. And, uh, we were, we were doing a celebrity, um, uh, mixology event and, uh, Tony Abigam and I, and, and a bunch of the kids from herbs and Ryan all over Las Vegas were there. And, um, and I'm standing there, uh, doing my, my, my sort of, uh, shift behind the bar. Uh, and they brought a bunch of us in from all over the country to do this, just to help our pal Carrie. And, uh, one of his other pals came up to the bar and ordered some drinks. And I looked up and it was none other than Bill Murray. And (laughs) guess what Bill Murray ordered when he was uh, ordering drinks for me that night, Michael. Was Bill Bill have a drink? I want to say he did. He ordered Gimlet, vodka Gimlet. Guy. And he's a Chicago guy. Go to Chicago, and our Chicago uh, bartender is making us gimlet. Is gimlet a Chicago thing? I don't think so. I think the only Chicago thing is Old Style and Malort. <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take credit for that. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, you guys, thanks a million for hey, Stu, after this conversation, you're going to start naming the gimlet side of well, no, we'll have to look at how the smell, how that smell works out. Yeah, like a little bit of a mix-up of drinking. And listen, my 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 eye wish is that Stu and Cleanwell does a line of hospitality industry products for all of us that really care about the food we put in our bodies and the things we wash and put in our places. We're conscientious about everything we eat and drink. We want the best for our guests and for ourselves and our families. We would love it if you could you know, come in and, and make sure that we have the best stuff in the trade as well. 
there's still way too many chemicals just on the other side of the bar as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, we have actually, we do have a professional line um, that we just launched this year with one of our partners, which is Seventh Generation. Oh, okay. Uh, Great. We, we make their disinfectants. They're a close partner of ours, and they have a new professional line that uh, you'll be seeing soon. Well, listen, everybody in the business, let's tell everybody because we are all about getting the trade out there and the readers and viewers and listeners from Food and Beverage Magazine and Food and Beverage Podcast Network are also people who are in the business. And so the name of the professional line that we could go in and get from our reps is Seventh Generation? Or does it yep. have another trade name? Yep, no, they, that's, that's a huge point. brand. That's yep. a huge brand. Yep. That's cool. Hey, Stu, thanks a million for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck, guys. Stay well. You know what I wonder? Do you have a toast that you share before you start cleaning the way mixologists uh, share a Ooh. toast before they clink glasses? If I was going to wash my hands, do we? what do we say? Is there, is there like a toasting tradition in cleaning? God, you stumped me. I'm going to have to come up with one, but I, you might have to just go with the ABCs. All right. Well, Sarah, shall we give these boys a toast to close this out? Yeah, I'm going to pour us a couple shots of Malort to do. And that's and tell Jennifer, more importantly, if you go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com, you can pick up my new book, Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to And when they get in here so I can see Stu. And right now is the perfect time because you've got time to read. You've got time to read. Yeah, I want to make this I might place, have right? that, actually. Okay, Stu, Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble. And in case anybody's wondering, not self-published. No. <laughs> it's Wiley, isn't it? It is Wiley Publishing, and okay. I was already paid. I All was right. already paid, so there's nothing to worry about. All yeah. right, let's talk for the non-Chicagoans in the audience. What's Malort? Um, so Malort is actually a Swedish category of spirit um, called Best Robin, uh, which basically just means it's made with wormwood. Um, but Jepson's Malort has been made in Chicago since before Prohibition by Swedish immigrants that settled on the north side of the city. Okay. Um, it was actually sold during Prohibition as a medicinal aid. Um, and the cool thing before, before I talk about what it tastes like, the cool thing about the label is that they actually, they give a little clue on here to how long it's been made in Chicago. Um, so the Chicago flag has four stars on it, um, for four different important events in Chicago's history. If you look on the label, there's only three, right? Oh, wow. Because the fourth star hadn't happened yet when they started making Malort in Chicago. Wow. Um, Malort gets a really bad rap. Um, there's plenty of videos you can watch of people's Malort faces or talking about how terrible it is. Um, it's really just dry and bitter. Like, it's like biting into a grapefruit rind. Um, how is it different from something like, say, like a Fernet Branca? So Fernet's going to be much sweeter and a little bit more viscous and a little bit more herbal. Whereas this is just like it's light and dry and bitter. Like, think the same kind of bitter as Campari. It's that kind of bitter. Okay. It's not sweet bitter, it's dry bitter. And then do you... Do you uh, we do we don't like to use the word bitter a lot of our friends. What's it, Jen? We don't like to use the word bitter. It reminds us of a lot of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> Can you use that in place of an, a Campari in, in, in a Negroni? Do you make a Malort Negroni? You probably can. I've never tried it, but um, Malort actually plays really well in cocktails. I've had a few, I put a few cocktails on menus that yeah. use Malort in it. 
the thing is you have to be really careful because it's very prominent. So if you use too much of it, all of a sudden, all you're tasting is Malort, um, which you really only want to only taste Malort if you're shooting. Gotcha. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's a really nice, just like bittering agent in cocktails. And so is there a toast that you share when you share the Malort? Um, not specifically, but we could do our toast. You're three for three okay. bad on the toast right now, Jen. I don't know. Yeah, because I am, I am a, I'm a disciple of the toasting tradition. I'm going to do, so here, and I haven't done this on the show yet, but I know you have a glass, uh, Stu, because you held it up. And and so all of us, I was in uh, Napa, California with Julia Child, and I asked her what the toast was that she shared with her husband when they had guests in their home. She clinked her glass to mine. And she said, le carrion de l'amitié, the bells of friendship. So may we clink and hear the bells of friendship. Yeah. To the bells of friendship. The bells of friendship. Bells of friendship. Sarah Simon, Stu Lawrence, Michael Politz, I'm Mrs. Spices. This is F&B Live. We'll be back again next week. This has been a lot of fun. Michael, wrap it up, baby. I'm wrapping it up. Thank you for joining us. We will see you, I don't even know when, a few days. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Stay well.